0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Okay, good evening again. Matthew chapter 26, please. Turn there with me if you would. Matthew chapter 26. We'll read a few verses here. Remind us where we were last time. Matthew 26, verse 26. The Lord has been anointed at Bethany. Uh, There's been an agreement to betray Jesus to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees and all. And then the Lord directs his disciples as to where to uh, celebrate the uh, Last Supper, the Passover, really, which we call the Last Supper. Um, And then he predicts, prophesies that he will be betrayed, which has already begun to unfold behind the scenes and now in verse 26, uh, it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So last time, last Wednesday, when we had opportunity to touch on this passage, we talked about the bread and the symbolism of that, what it means. We said that uh, the element of bread reminds us in the present of our connection to Christ and what he did in the past. Eating it reminds us of our connection to Christ. Uh, the work of Christ in the present as to what he did in the past. and We uh, made the case that the, uh, the uh, eating was not a reenactment, the uh, Lord's table is not a re-sacrifice, but rather what the text says in Luke's gospel in chapter 22, namely that it is a remembrance. It's literally plain out, just written there for us, almost as if God knew that there was going to be a disagreement and an argument about this, over hundreds and hundreds of years, he just said this is a remembrance. Very wise that he did that. Now we come to the cup. And actually, we're going to have, uh, Lord willing, the table on Sunday evening, aren't we? Because it's the first Sunday in November. But uh, just the way the timing worked out, I thought I'd take this tonight and then maybe we'll review some on Sunday night and or we'll go somewhere else. I haven't decided that yet. But Uh, It says in verse 27, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. So like the bread moments earlier, he took now the cup. And uh, you probably have been like me in reading uh, other portions of Scripture about this. Luke 22 talks about two different cups, one earlier in the meal and one later in the meal. And the one later is the one that he refers to with regard to um, the the new covenant and sacrifice for sin and all of that. So we don't have to get into all the details of that, except that I think it's interesting that in the Luke passage, it first says he took a cup, and then he took the cup later on in the passage. And so there actually traditionally were four parts or cups of wine or, or drinks from that that were taken during the Passover Seder But uh, I'm not sure how far back that tradition goes uh, myself. Somebody else could speak more wisely to that than I could. So he told the disciples to share it, and then he said you know, I'm not going to share this with you again for a long time until the kingdom of God, the kingdom of my Father comes. And um, so that's kind of a general outline. What it says, though, is that he took the cup and gave thanks this is parallel to the blessing on the bread. Remember last time we said that he blessed it? He gave thanks for it. He did similar for both elements, giving of thanks to God the Father. And the verb that is used here, not to turn you all into Greek scholars here, but the verb is in Greek, Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo, which if you say it in a certain way, it sounds like Eucharist. Eucharist. That's where that comes from. So the word itself is a very fine word. The concepts that have been placed into and on top of that word by the Catholics is, is, are not fine, but the word itself is fine, And so, but we don't use it because of the you know, additional uh, cruft that has been added to it by the uh, Catholic theology. But eucharisteo means to give thanks. Uh, he gave thanks for the... Uh, cup, what they were able to partake of, and for what it meant, no doubt, not just that it was a, a cup that you would drink at a meal and thank God for what he gave you to drink, but more than that. He gave the cup then to the disciples. Now, this is portrayed as a single cup passed one to another. Now, this seems foreign to us because you know, we're such germophobes that we can't stand sharing a single cup or chalice of this wine one with another. But it is still practiced in cultures worldwide. I've illustrated before with the uh, South American practice of mate, which is a kind of strong caffeinated tea. And uh, it's done a little differently than we do here. They'll have the, the leaves packed into a small cup, and they pour hot water over those. And, but in that cup, there is a metal straw that has a, a flared-out end on it with a filter-like. And so you drink through that straw. The hot water goes down through the mate leaves and eventually gets to the uh, straw, and you can drink it up that way and then you share that with the person next to you, the whole thing. Yes. Ceremony, yes. Yes. Yes, I think the wiping it was uh, for hygiene, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Well, I don't know about all that, but in any case, um, a single cup. Now, the 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 thing that you I want to, you to grasp from this is this fact: this form of sharing a single cup pictures a deeper kind of union between Christ and His disciples, and the disciples and one another. Okay, we could think that the cup is in a Western way, in a Western mindset, has been individualized so that each one of us is dealing directly and only with Jesus. It's just me and my Lord. But you have to recognize that that cup tied them all together and bound them together in communion with one another. I'm not advocating necessarily going back to that form, but we need to have, if we don't go back to that form, we need to have that in our minds, that deeper meaning of connection when we participate in the Lord's table service. The way we symbolize or picture that is that we all drink it simultaneously, which they could not do, but we do that so that we are saying we are together in this. We're partaking of one kind of new wine, as I call it. as grape juice, not fermented, and we're doing that together. If you miss that, you miss a big part of what it means to have communion. It's not just you and Jesus. It's the church together and Him. And I think we've lost a lot of this in our Western individualistic mindset and we just think, well, nobody else matters. I can do communion myself in my bedroom or something. No, you cannot. That's not communion with anybody. It's just drinking, you know, and eating. So very serious about this. And we can add to this from First Corinthians chapter 11. When you're gathered together, when you're gathered together, when you're all in one place, Paul is very clear in the context of the Lord's table And uh, we also need to be that way as well. Now, another issue that comes up here, Jesus told them to drink it. Now, I want to be clear here. When you read maybe in the King James Version, you might, or, or some other translations, you might be misled to think that Jesus says to drink all of the wine, drink all of it. What he says is, all of you drink it. Drink from it, all of you, is what he means. And that's what it says in the New King James in verse 27. Drink from it, all of you. The all is clearly referring to the people. It doesn't say that by the, you know, the end of the circuit, by the time the cup goes all the way around, that it all has to be gone by the time that it gets around. Or that, you know, like <laughs> I've heard of stories of the priest in a Catholic church, not the bash on them tonight but just that's where this is where it happens the, the wine is not all gone so after the service he finishes it all because it's because it's sacred it's been turned into the blood of Christ by by his pron- pronouncement over it in the service and so it's somehow special and it can't be dripped and dropped and thrown out and all of that stuff see that's that's much different than how we look at it because of our symbolic memorial or remembrance view of that. So whether the wine was entirely consumed is not the point of Jesus at all. The point is that all the disciples were to take a portion of it. What is the meaning of that? Well, that is that all of them are supposed to be participants in the blessed benefits of the pouring out of Christ's blood. This is not just for men. It's for men and women. It's not just for old. It's for everybody who is in Christ should be walking with Him and in obedience to Him. Um, That wasn't, I don't feel like that was very clearly taught, and I want to make sure I don't have that same error in my ministry. I want people to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it uh, with the Lord's table. When I was a young person, is what I'm thinking of, you know, I had this uh, misunderstanding about the Lord's table and didn't know if I should take it or I shouldn't take it or... I had this sense that, well, since I haven't been baptized yet, I shouldn't take it, but I wanted to because I wanted to express that I'm you know, connected with the Lord in this ordinance, and so uh, we just want to be clear about that in our minds. We recommend what the Bible says. Get saved, be born again, then be baptized pretty quickly, and then you take of the Lord's table, and you don't have to have all those struggles in your mind and thoughts and all that. Just obey God and everything will be better. Okay? Everything will be better. Now, some Christians and teachers particularly focus on whether Judas was present or not when this happened. Remember that? When the elements were shared. Well, was he part of the all who shared the cup? In Luke's gospel, it appears that Judas is present at the time of the bread and the cup. The account we read here doesn't doesn't really tell us mark doesn't tell us john specifically mentions jesus leaving the supper in john 13 30 but it leaves room for him to be present when the elements are shared and so the best i can tell you is there's some ambiguity on the matter on whether he was there or not now let me help you understand that without getting too worked up about it okay um I just am reporting what I can see from the text, and I don't see clear evidence. Now, I do see that some people say, well, Judas was not a believer, so therefore he must not have had the cup. Just theologically, they make that argument, and then they kind of say, well, look, he could have left here. Maybe, if he, maybe he left between this verse and this verse, and he wasn't recorded by the gospel writers and all that, and it's like, it doesn't tell us. But have you ever known an unbeliever to take the Lord's table? just asking for a friend. It's, yes, it's happened. Now listen to this. Whatever the case doesn't much matter whether he was there or not there because either he didn't take the elements or he did in a disingenuous fashion. Taking the elements of the communion is not a saving act, so we don't have to worry about that. People that are unsaved do a ritual like the Lord's table every day every week, every month of every year since the Lord has been was on the earth. And some believers eat and drink in an unworthy manner, don't they? And participate that way to condemnation to themselves. 1 Corinthians 11.29 says, it, In Corinth, some even died because of their ill participation at the Lord's Supper. If Judas did participate, we don't know if he did, but if he did, His participation would be in the most unworthy manner you could imagine and he would deserve to die afterward and he did. So maybe he did take the elements of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner and then he died just like 1 Corinthians 11 talks about. Or maybe he didn't take the elements of the table and he died anyway because he was the son of perdition and all of that. We don't have to resolve that tension, but we just have to know you can't just whimsically take the, the bread and the cup and just like, you know, it's it's got some special measure of grace or it doesn't matter how you're treating your fellow believers in the church. I mean, some in Corinth were taking ahead of others, some were hungry, some were, you know, thirsty, so they, they weren't allowing them into their cliques and the rich people in the church had their little space and the poor people had their other space and, And how does that picture, when the cup goes around and is shared by everybody, you're all equal? You're all in Christ equally. You're all members of one another. You're all brothers and sisters. You're not rich and poor and black and white and all this sort of stuff, male and female in the church with all these heavy distinctions going on. Even the other disciples were about to flee from the Lord, and Peter would deny him all within a few short hours. Perfection is impossible. Thank the Lord you don't have to be perfect to remember the Lord's work at the Lord's table. Nobody is. But we do what we can to guard the table so that those acting as, you know, as unbelievers or that are unbelievers are not participating in it because it's not something to take lightly. All right, so like eating the bread, drinking the wine was a physical act that portrayed a spiritual reality. Drinking, that's simple enough. But what was the reality that was portrayed? Well, the drinking, of uh, the thing drank, drank, if you will, drunk, <laughs> consumed, was a symbol of the blood of the Lord. Blood refers to the life given in sacrifice for sinners. And that sacrifice was the basis of the new covenant and the remission of sins. We'll see that in more detail in a moment. Drinking portrays the life-giving connection that we have with Jesus Christ. It's done in remembrance of the Lord. I think of that life-giving connection because we're humans, we're limited, we don't have an internal nuclear reactor that can just keep going forever and ever. We need nourishment from the outside. And if you don't have a drink, after a little while, things get to be pretty desperate, right? I mean, after a couple of days, you would expire if you had zero water, I don't know, maybe three days or something, not very long. But can you imagine that simple act of going to the faucet to get a drink? That's sustaining your life. (laughs) This is like like nourishment for your spiritual life. This ongoing connection is picturing that that ongoing connection with the Lord. Remembering Him is your life. Um, Putting all this together, the cup reminds us in the present of our connection to Christ and what he did in the past. Just like the bread, I said that same phrase. It reminds us in the present of our connection to Christ and what he did in the past. It's a remembrance, not a reenactment, not a new dose of saving grace. And this is also forward-looking to another time in the future when there will be a special communion service. Again, when the Lord returns, I think perhaps in connection with the marriage supper of the Lamb, not in this present age, but in uh, the communion in that far future. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes back, and when He comes back, then He'll be able to uh, participate. Next time awaits the coming of the kingdom. At Verse 29, not, not until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Um, Jesus is basically fasting from the cup of remembrance until he comes back. Have you ever thought of it that way? He's fasting from it. He's not partaking of it. One of the reasons I think he's not partaking of it is because he's not here. He's gone. He's not with his disciples here where they can share together. Remember the cup going around and sharing, and they're all sharing together? Indeed. Uh, I don't know about the Lord's need for nourishment today. I mean, does Jesus need to eat today to sustain his physical body? Does he need to drink to sustain his physical body? Well, if he does, he's not drinking uh, the fruit of the vine, drinking water or whatever, you know, that's it. (laughs) We have one here voting that he doesn't need spiritual or physical nourishment, although he does have a real physical body. So what do you do about that? Well, of course he is. And he was when he was on earth too, <laughs> but, he did. but he did eat then too. So, well, the, the text uh, doesn't tell us all the details about why, but he's, he's absent. He's uh, not with his people on earth, not sharing fellowship with him. And the, the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine around the table signify a happy union of fellowship. And at that time, it's going to signify a happy reunion of fellowship with the Lord when he returns to his people. That, that happiness of direct fellowship will not occur again until Jesus returns. Thankfully, he is with his people who have departed and gone to heaven. They together uh, with us await his return, but he's not going to partake again until he gathers with his people. It's no wonder then that the Lord's table is shared in the church when the church is gathered together. No other location no isolation, no live stream, no conference call can replicate the kind of togetherness that is required to portray properly the fellowship that those in Christ share together. That's why we don't have live streamed communion or baptism ordinances that's not appropriate. that's not in accordance with the scriptures uh, besides the other you know issues of privacy, and and that sort of thing. So when the Lord comes back, the kingdom of of heaven is established, then he will participate again. And the mindset of the Lord here, can you imagine? This basically, when he says, I'm not going to do this again until, this means this is the last time I'm going to have this Passover, Last Supper, communion celebration with my people until that time, after my death, after my resurrection, after my session at the right hand of the Father, after my return. This is a mindset of anticipation. Can you imagine knowing this is the last time I'm going to be able to do something until? You know, I'm getting a surgery and I'm going to be out for six months. I'm not. I'm just saying if I were. I'm not going to be able to have the Lord's table, be in the church, you know, all that, this is the last time I'm going to be able to do this, and you're anticipating being able to return and to do it again. Only he's having to wait 2,000 years to participate again. He's troubled knowing he faces imminent death, but at the same time he's anticipating the forward-looking time and the triumph of his return when he would partake once again. And I trust that his anticipation is your anticipation His anticipation is yours. You're looking forward to that too when you gather around the the marriage supper of the Lamb and are able to be with Him forever. Uh, Let's see, where else uh, should we go? Well, let's think about this. Um, The Lord shed His blood um, for us. Jesus' blood is the identification of the symbol. And this is the basis of the new covenant and the remission of sins. But there has been, unfortunately, great controversy over the blood of Christ. Um, I can't help but think of our former pastor, how he would say that word, controversy. <laughs> controversy. Controversy. I think he picked that up from South Africa but he would, he would have said that. There's great controversy about this the idea of the blood of Christ. And uh, I don't know if, he, if he's, I think he addressed this issue privately, at least when we talked about it. I'm not sure I'm remembering if he dealt with it so much from the pulpit, but uh, I will deal with it here in how I've come to understand this. I believe the phrase the blood of Christ encompasses and expresses the expansive meaning of the atoning work of Christ. It's not limited to the fluid that was coursing through his arteries and veins in his body. The competing view says that the blood is the literal blood of God based on a wrong reading of Acts 20, 28. Uh, You know, he redeemed the church with his own blood and it's taking the word his and it's saying the antecedent of that is God. So it's God's blood So it's different than human blood, it's special blood, it's precious blood. Of course, we can say it's precious because it is, but it's not unhuman because he's fully human, fully human. Uh, God does not have blood. Jesus had it because he had a human body, human nature. Some even believe that this blood, when when it dripped from the Lord, was collected from the foot of the cross or wherever he lost it along the way of his flogging and that blood was transported to heaven and thus sprinkling each and every believer who newly comes to faith in Christ first Peter says, sprinkled you're sprinkled by the blood of Christ. what does that mean? well it doesn't mean that literal blood is dripped on you like like Moses took the the hyssop, dipped it in the blood, and then put it on the people and the book and the tabernacle and all whatever he you know did in his uh Purification ritual it doesn't refer to that at all. To be sprinkled by the blood of Christ means that that blood and its benefits is applied to you. You are under the blood. You are covered by the blood. You are not red. You're cleansed. You're washed. You're, you're transformed. Uh, you're made clean. You are forgiven. You are, your sins are remitted. You're put into Christ. And the benefits, all the benefits of the cross work of Christ apply to you. So as if to protect us from the sacramental view, the Bible explains that Christ's work was finished when? <clears throat> it is finished. What verse of the Bible? Just as he expired, he said it is finished. John 19.30, Tetelestai, it's done. Now, was all of this blood run out of his body at that point? Yes or no? You know the answer. What do you think? It could not have been because moments later he was stabbed by a spear and out came blood and water. Not all of his blood had run out of his body by the time he said it is finished and he died. He was dead and he still had some remnant there of blood inside of him. I think this is not a favorable truth to those who hold this what we call sacramental view. Not every drop of blood had to exit his body by the time he died, but he did give his life an atonement for sin. And since his life was in the blood, remember Leviticus 17.11, we say that he shed his blood because he did. Enough, sufficient blood was let out and sufficient injury done to the body. Listen to this, this This is one of my favorite sentences in these notes, but it's powerful. Sufficient blood was let out, and sufficient injury was done to his body, and sufficient wrath was poured out upon him, both bodily and spiritually, that he died. That's why he died. His blood was let out, Injury was done to the body, and God's wrath was poured out upon him. I think that's the only, to me, I know his physical suffering was terrible. I'm not downplaying that at all. Like I said last time, in less than 24 hours, a perfectly healthy man was taken from perfect health to death and buried in probably the space of maybe, say, from midnight until when he died at 3 in the afternoon. That's only 15 hours Maybe he was arrested at 9 p.m. in the evening when it was dark. I don't know, but that's still only 18 hours. Severe physical suffering. But I think the reason that he died so quickly ultimately was because he was bearing in a finite body, indwelt by an infinite logos, of course, bearing the wrath of God for all the sins of mankind in those few hours that he was hanging upon the cross. Other men who hung on the cross did not bear that burden. They bore the burden of the cross, but Jesus bore that as well as the sins of the world. Of course, he gave up his spirit at the right moment, for no one took his life from him. He has the power to lay down his life, and he has the power to take it up again. But the blood of the cross represents his entire death, we're thankful to God for the blood of Christ, which is to say, we're thankful to God for the death of Christ and all that it accomplishes. There's blood because it is a sacrifice. And it's in the, the mode or mold of Old Testament sacrifices. You know, those were a bloody business. Teaching the people of Israel that the, without the shedding of blood, oh, there is no remission of sins. That's the Bible's teaching, my friends. There is no remission of sins apart from And and you know, if you don't understand that, if you mock that, if you disagree with that, let me just tell you, you don't understand the depth and badness of sin. It is very bad. It is very bad. An entire dissertation could be written on the subject of the blood of Christ, certainly an entire sermon. We've just given it a very few short minutes here. But do please ask questions if you want to about this subject. Some people have gotten very worked up about this and said that people who hold this kind of view that the blood of Christ is an expansive term that refers to the literal blood and also metaphorically to the whole work of Christ, that that is a heresy. That's not a heresy, my friends. That's the teaching of Scripture. The heresy is if you take the blood and say it's just, you know, it's divine blood. It has nothing to do with humanity. You make Christ into a, a non-human being and you take this sacramental view. That is that is wrong. But we want to just study this and encourage ourselves to, to understand the truth of it without getting, you know, bent out of shape about it. So I hope that's the case for us all tonight. Well, we're going to look next time at the blood of the new covenant and being shed for the remission of sins, but we have no time to do that this evening. So we're going to hold off on that and think about that topic a little bit later. But let's thank the Lord for this. Heavenly Father, thus far we've come, as we've talked mostly about uh, the cup and the blood that was poured out on behalf of your people And Lord, I pray that we won't get caught up in the controversy of it all, but Lord, that we will be gratefully um, minded about the work that you have done on our behalf. Lord, teach us uh, humility. Teach us awe. Teach us gratefulness. When we look at our sin that, hung him there and caused him to suffer so great a death, even as this. So thank you for the work of Christ that's been applied to each one who's a believer, giving us assurance, full assurance, that our sins are cleansed and that we are children of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.